There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This is BIPOC Credits, a show that shines a light on the Black, Indigenous, and people of color who work in the booming BC film industry with high hopes of creating a more diverse Hollywood North behind and in front of the camera. Want to learn about the people behind your favorite movies and TV shows? Keep listening. Want to learn how to survive and thrive in the film industry? Keep listening. Want to convince your parent or guardian to let you be a part of the film industry? Keep listening. Welcome to BIPOC Credits. Here's your host, Andy Wong. Hello, and thanks for tuning in. Here's something you might not know. The film industry relies on five main unions to crew up the films and TV shows in town. For performers, the Union of BC Performers, or UBCP, represents thousands of performers in BC from stunt actors to voice actors to even dancers and background performers. In recent years, a BIPOC committee was created to keep up with the growing landscape of diversity in our industry. With new stories coming out, it means the union wants to prepare itself to grow with the times. So on this episode, we have BIPOC committee chair Angela Moore to talk about the upcoming initiatives started by this committee, finding the right mindset to take on a position like this, and her experience as an actor for several decades and how the industry has changed since the 90s. If you think you recognize Angela's name, it's because she's been featured in movies and TV shows from Degrassi High, Dark Angel, iRobot, Bates Motel, Riverdale, and most recently, the incredible Netflix show Made. Really check it out. So it's an incredible honor to be able to introduce this local legend. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Angela Moore. Thank you so much for joining us, Angela. Uh, really appreciate you being here. It's really inspiring to see someone um, be in the board that can uh, uh, really affect change. Uh, something that I've, in the recent years, really started uh, aspiring to. And so it's really ins- inspirational to see you in that position. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I'm really honored to be able to serve our members on the board of UBCP Actra. Awesome. Um, well, I'm going to start off with uh, kind of a silly question. What's uh, the most common complaint you hear from actors? Well, <clears throat> these days since COVID, um, you know, the common complaint would be the amount of self-tapes that we have to do. Uh, uh, during, I guess, <clears throat> a typical week of someone might have, I don't know, uh, maybe maybe three or maybe one to three auditions per week. Um, and at, at a certain point, uh, then it jumped to like seven to ten. <laughs> and then we had to uh, put everything on, uh, do self-tapes at home. Right. During COVID, which was kind of crazy. Uh, this is before the the vaccine, right? So we all had to run out and get uh, lighting equipment and backdrops. Uh, and you had um, to learn how to be a filmmaker. Yeah, we had to learn how to be filmmakers. So I think it's just the amount of work that we've had to uh, undertake and the lighting and the technical ability. And right. also during COVID, um, you know, you couldn't just fight anybody over to do it with you, right? right? The person had to be in your bubble. So if you were lucky enough to be with someone, maybe you could ask your partner to do it, but then they started to request just, you know, professional actors being your readers. So that opened up a whole other uh, sort of layer of difficulty. Um, and then we had uh, our friends zooming in on our laptops while we were taping. So the time it took to audition 
um, increased exponentially. So that was the number one thing. It just really put a huge amount and, and sudden, sudden, I might add, right? A sudden amount of work onto actors' workloads. Does that mean that more, more Canadian actors are being casted in these? New- that's, that's the pro. I, I gave you the cons, but the pros were that um, suddenly then there were people who were not getting in the room before, casting directors, who were now being able to gain more opportunities. Um, it wasn't just the sort of the same old people being called in. They would typically call in maybe, you know, maybe 12 person per role, but now they could see 40 per role. Then the other bonus of it was that um, you could take a little bit more time with your takes, right? When you walk in the room, you've got like maybe one or two shots at most. Yeah, plus the nerves. Yeah, the nerves. You know, sometimes you just couldn't find parking. And <laughs> so now now we're not driving all over the city uh, to casting director's office dealing with uh, parking and traffic. That's really great. Um, have you been uh, casted in something that like uh, like during this time that you'd say you normally wouldn't get? Pre-COVID, I'd say, you know, I think I got booked off a tape maybe once. I just wasn't one of those actors right that that did well that way i i always preferred being in the room with the with the directors and the producers you can kind of feel that a little bit of energy or you could talk to them or they could feel your vibe like you know they could and they would might connect with you and like redirect you take a little bit more time with you uh so i was never a fan of it but some people loved it uh, doing self-tapes so i would say that last in 2020 i had an opportunity to tape for something that I might not ordinarily have access to because number one, um, no one was crossing borders last year. Yeah. So um, I wasn't fighting American competition Mm -hmm. for the role. So then I I, I got a supporting lead. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, In a a movie, uh, like an MOW. That show was called uh, The Christmas Ant by Lifetime. And I was really excited because it was the first time that I was cast in a family in, in, a, in, a, in a, well, the black family was being featured, right? I was the grandmother. Oh, so it was a, a Hallmark movie. Of, it was, no, a Lifetime. Black, oh, a Lifetime, a lifetime. movie with yeah. a, a black, about the black family. Yeah, that was the, yeah, it was a black family. Uh, Keisha Knight Pulliam was the star. Um, you'll remember her from House of Pain and of course the Cosby show. And um and she's done other Lifetime movies as well. Uh, and she was amazing, fantastic, per- complete pro. Of course, she's been acting since she was a child, right? An utter professional. So I did learn a lot um, from her. And uh, also the DOP uh, t- was Tony Mechie. Uh, he's Black. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't think I've ever worked with a Black uh, director of photography. Just walking on and feeling like, oh, I get to be part of the actual storyline. Right. Right. It was our family. I wasn't the neighbor. I wasn't um, the clerk that was, you know, serving the family or the secretary or the nurse. I was actually part of the storyline. I had a storyline. I started off in this career when there there might be one person of color on set. Right. (laughs) Like one. Yeah, right. There could never be, you know, we couldn't we couldn't occupy the same scene at the same time. And also I had worked on um, A Million Little Things and I had played uh, a doctor. And within that scene, I had said to them, um, you know, I, I have to take a moment here because I've never been on set in BC and been a part of like, you know, all this one scene has all people of color in it oh wow yeah right I said I've never done this and even the director was a person of color I that had never happened to me before so I was really kind of choked up and emotional I just sat there in that moment I was like it's us it's just us and wow in this one moment in this one scene um you know, they looked at me like I was kind of crazy. They had experienced yeah, it, yeah. right? I mean, you probably see it every day because it's their show, but yeah. No, yeah, that- it's their, their show and, and, you know, they're doing it. But um, but for me, 
you know, coming in, I was like a day player. I was only there for, I don't know, a day or two or something like that. But to me, it was like, it was a big deal. Can you talk a bit about your uh, experience working with Tony? I guess I want to talk specifically about like how his lighting style um, uh, uh, with working with uh, darker skin. Well, for decades, um, this has been an issue for me personally. You know, I have darker skin. And um, so a lot of times I'd always felt that I'd been, you know, overlooked for a lot of things because I was darker skinned. So, you know, that colorism issue. Um, and then the issue of lighting came about uh, for me. I remember doing a show uh, in which I was, was working all week. So I was there all week doing the show. And my counterpart was white, uh, another fantastic actor um, that I know. And I remember watching, you know, the stuff going on and I'm thinking there, there isn't enough light on me. <laughs> right. I can tell. Right. You know, yeah. I can tell yeah. there's no consideration for me at all. Uh, first of all, um, there's the issue of stand ins. Right. And generally, when an actor is waiting to be called to set, they're setting up the lights. And so they have stand ins who are usually similar looking to the person um, that they're standing in for. Right, right. Uh, so they would do the lighting kind of based on them. So most of the time, even if I had a stand in, the stand in was Caucasian, right? Oh, no. They were white. So then they would sort of light for them, and then I kind of might step in there and I knew uh that I wasn't it wasn't going to be flattering for me right and so I learned eventually to kind of start speaking up for myself and saying okay so you know how's the lighting on me just just gotta ask yeah. right right um and if you're not sort of important enough <laughs> you know you're not number one or two on the call yeah, sheet, right. then they kind of don't necessarily, you know, pay that much attention. It's more like, you know, the lighting is for the star, you know, and everything like that, that maybe you're in the scene with. Um, and, but I always had to ask because I was never sure. And sure enough, when I would see the, the, the product on TV, I'd be like, you can't even, you can barely see me. I'm standing next to a white person. Like they, they have all the lighting, they look great. And I'm just like a shadow. Like my face just kind of recedes, you know? And uh, that was never a, a positive experience. And that happened over and over and over again. Now, when the, the, the lighting or the, when the cameras changed to digital. Right. Um, things were better. Um, but still, that was still a, a, an issue. So when I worked with Tony, um, I think he, he already, I didn't really have to say anything because he's lighting all of us and we're all, uh, black people who were all black and, and different shades right? right um so he he knew already he was prepared obviously right right um but i'd worked with other director photographers where you know my role was insignificant enough to not even be considered and then there were right. those that that were uh uh caucasian um dops that were completely savvy to that and oh. understood my questions and understood my concerns. And I could hear them say, okay, can we just bring an extra light over here for Angela? Right. So they were prepared and they were experienced to have, well, you know, experienced enough to realize that I was there yeah. and I might need um, a different sort of lighting. Yeah. A different type of lighting or just an additional light to highlight my face. So I find that now, um uh there's not that so much of an issue five years ago it was an issue can you talk about how you came from being an actor and um decided to be more involved in the ubcp board what was that mindset i i was already um well um a volunteer on the um the women's committee and also at that time the diversity and inclusion committee so I was involved as a, a volunteer anyway. And then I had some encouragement from the former director of member services and, and communications, Sue Browse, who recently retired. Uh, she encouraged me. And also um, a former board director, Winnie Hong, also encouraged me. 
to run. And to tell you the truth, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't even know what the board did, right? I, I really didn't. Um, I kind of just wasn't involved in that aspect. And then I was like, okay, so what is it I have to do? Like, what is it exactly? And and so they kind of, uh, you know, informed me of some of the duties and they made it seem like, oh, it's just a meeting once a month. It's not a big deal. And, <laughs> but um, <laughs> boy, that was incorrect. Um, <laughs> once that was in position, I kind of uh, figured out how the, the board worked and, you know, what it was responsible for. And uh, eventually the uh, work on the diversity and inclusion committee started to kind of ramp up and I had a lot of ideas about it. Um, and long story short, I thought it would be a good idea to become the chair of that committee because I had really developed a vision of what I wanted this committee to be. And, um, and so my peers agreed with me and then things kind of really took off from there. I really wanted to um, inform our our board our union of uh the the challenges that racialized performers had um in this industry and for the most part they weren't really aware of it at all so the significant part of it is is that once you have a seat at that table right right um it becomes really uh clear that other people don't see things uh, through, you know, your own perspective. And so I had to kind of uh, let people know this is the realities of the re of racialized performers in this industry, in this city. And um, once I did that, it, you know, um, you know, the light bulb started to go off and people really started to understand, you know, we are the storytellers. Yeah. In our industry and the stories that we tell are really important. And it is also um, the, the type of stories that are told in this industry impact everybody. They yeah. impact everybody. And being a part of this industry and being a storyteller myself, I think I felt I had a responsibility to really try to bring these issues to light to our union in a way that they had never seen before. Uh, and uh, that was what kind of really motivated me to sort of step up and to become the chair and to really uh, start a vision um, that people could get behind and people could really start to feel empowered within this industry. Being an actor is incredibly difficult for anyone. It is even more so as a person of color. It's incredibly challenging. So to not have support or voice or agency um, is really traumatizing and really right. difficult. And so there's strength in numbers, right? Just like a union, there's strength in numbers, there's solidarity there. And Absolutely. so uh, that's something that um, I really feel passionately about. Um, one of the really uh, issues that kind of uh, really uh, struck a chord with me was when there was a... Um, a non-member actually who came forward to Global News um, during a Hallmark uh, movie of the week was shooting. Right. And uh, this person went on the news to say that her and her spouse, they're part of a biracial couple, uh, were separated on set. They were they were background performers. What? And yeah. And the they were separated on set. They were, you know, you you can't, you know, be with your husband in the background. They they put it with someone of a, you know, the same color or whatever it was. They separated them. Yeah. So she obviously took offense to this and went to the news. And when I saw them in the news, I was like, I wasn't surprised at all, actually, because I had experienced this myself. You did. Um, yeah, years ago when I was working on a production, I was doing background work at that time and it had happened to me. Um, and we just sort of, you know, I've grown up accepting certain things. I was so used to it, not feeling empowered to make any changes about it or have a voice about it. I was just kind of used to it. And uh, a lot of uh, uh, racialized performers just sort of take things on the chin. We just sort of suck it up. And deal with it right um so when this person went before you know the the news and told the story i thought 
uh, our union would sort of do something about it, right? Yeah, because it, the production was within our jurisdiction. Yeah. Even though this performer, this person was a, a non-member, right? The right. actual production was signatory with UBCP Actra. So I kind of waited for my phone to ring, you know, right. uh, and it didn't. I thought my, you know, uh, fellow board directors would say, yeah, did you see that on the news? You know, you know, what can we do? And, you know, whatever, right? N nobody really said anything. I don't know if they'd seen it. Um, so I brought it to their attention and said, look, um, we have to do something. And they're like, oh, but, you know, the story's already been broken. And so, you know, Hallmark will probably change. And, you know, that's it. And I go, that's not the point. Right. This has been going on in the industry for decades. Um, what's happened is, is that members, you know, don't come forward. They don't complain to the union because particularly if you're working in background, um, you feel very vulnerable. Right. If you do speak up against something, um, you won't be called back into work. That's what happens with union members, right? They right. feel like, well, this is how I make my money. This is how I pay my bills. If I complain, you know, they won't call me back. So I'll just kind of go along with it. Um, and I said, uh, we don't need to wait for a member to come forward when I am sitting here telling you this is this is what happens and it's already been on the news and Hallmark has to deal with this. Um, and so as a union, we need to get behind our members who felt that they had no voice to let uh, Hallmark know that um, we will not let them contravene our collective agreement because that's exactly what they did by discrimination. Right. They've contravened our collective agreement. Yeah, that's and in they, the UBCP agreement. Yes. And they also contravened the Human Rights Code of BC. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we need to inform them as such. This is what yeah. they've done. Yeah. Right. And we we will not be tolerating that moving forward in the future. Um, and so a letter was written. Oh, OK. Yes. That's um, great. That's not public news, but it's news to everybody in the union. It's already gone out, right? right. Um, well, was this something that happened pretty recently, the letter? It happened in 2018. Okay. It was a few years ago. Yeah, because it's interesting. I, I actually AD a lot on Hallmark movies. Mm -hmm. And really in the last couple of years, we've definitely seen more of a push from producers to have more diversity. Um it's uh, and and probably it's because of this uh, because of this uh, issue, this controversy that happened in 2018. Yes, I believe so. And and of, and of course, you know the, the the Black Lives Matter movement. Of course, right. And I mean, uh, this is the power of speaking out, and this is the power yes. of how if we actually do speak out and we enact on these changes, change will actually happen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Uh, and, and part of being at that table on that board is being able to present these issues to my colleagues and say, yeah, you know, this is important. This is something we should, you know, really uh, vocalize our position on. So I think once, you know, their eyes were opened, um, then they had to see everything. And then we came together. You know, they were very supportive after that. Very, very supportive after that. Um, and it has also moved into another area, uh, which has become really problematic, um, which is uh, with our with stunt performers. There's been a long tradition of, of uh, painting down or changing the skin color of white performers to portray black stunt performers right. on, on camera and also wigging them right. um, to have them appear as women, right? It's a very long tradition of that. Um, and so that was another thing that I wanted to bring to their attention as well. Uh, those are the things that affect the growth and the flourishing of uh, stunt performers uh, of color, right? Can you talk uh, about the, uh, the changes that are happening, uh, like the in the future, like what's being um, uh, talked about for how these things are going to change in the next few years? Yeah, well, the, we already have. Uh, we already have seen a lot of growth in that area, a lot of change in that area. 
Uh, I think our union's been a really huge um, part of that. Our our own veteran uh, stunt coordinators have played a really vital role in changing that atmosphere, changing that uh, reality. They have been making sure that they know who the um, you know the the black stunt performers are. They've reached out to other uh, performers of color, uh, for example, the um, Asian performers of uh, stunt performers of color. Uh, they are. Um, they had a course for women, uh, a stunt driving course for women oh, okay. um, that they that they sponsored uh, and had uh, racialized female performers of uh, stunt performers come in to, to learn this driving course to upgrade their skills. They've also had um, training sessions for indigenous um, stunt performers as well. Right. These are all the exciting things that our, our veteran uh, stunt performers, stunt coordinators are responsible for. They've been absolutely fantastic. So those um, industry leaders are really, you know, taking this to heart, to creating a change, so to have more opportunities. They've revised the stunt gu guidelines in hiring performers of color um, so that uh, the coordinators uh, that we work with know that they're trying to find the you know the right person of the right ethnic background to fulfill that job requirement right, right. um so that's the wonderful thing that our, our union is getting behind right and that's something really that they're always working hear. really hard on and uh the bipoc committee is um working on increasing our presence within the industry to give more opportunities to our members um, we've had roundtable discussions that we have on, on the YouTube channel. We've had it with Indigenous uh, performers, East Asian performers, Middle Eastern, North African performers, Black performers, um, that we've gathered all these actors together to talk about their experiences and their challenges in, within this industry. That's the first time we've ever done something like that. And it was the most empowering thing to be a part of. Um, to just be able to be in that room, one room and just say, oh, you went through that too? Oh, okay. You know, yeah. um, they really had a, a, an opportunity to connect to one another and to also relay their stories to our membership and, and of anybody of interest um, to show them what it's been like, what it has been like and where it's actually going. Right. So um, that's been an incredible thing. We've had a live reading um, we had back, you know, before COVID, we had a live reading of a, a friend's script. But instead of all uh, white people, we yeah. we cast, um, a, you know, performers of color. Right. Yeah. That's, right. Yeah. And it was an amazing, an amazing event. It was held in person. Uh, this was a this was about four four years ago. We right. actually sent it out to casting people to come and see, to see this incredible talent. Right. And actually they didn't show up, <laughs> which was too bad because they really missed something. I think yeah. now if we had that now, they would definitely come. Right. right? Um, but it was an amazing event. Um, and that's, so, yeah. That's, that's really, that's part of the challenge. It's like, there's so many of these events and these uh, opportunities coming up, but it's hard to, find engagement, especially in BC. Would you agree with that? I think lately they're getting a little bit better. It's a little bit more awkward with us now having to do things on Zoom. Right. What I'm finding um, is that there is an interest between the kind of the, you know, you're, you're, you're preaching to a, the choir a lot of the times, right? Right. Um, since uh, George Floyd was murdered, there was this whole zeitgeist that happened within our society about, you know, um, the 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 discrimination and the racism and the white supremacy that's been sort of been perpetuated for years and this industry is actually no different yeah but what has happened is that now performers of color and creators of color have stepped forward and they're becoming more and more commonplace and people are having more and more opportunities there still needs to be a lot of growth but right now the conversations are being had, the opportunities, people are actually putting their money where their mouth is in yeah. training programs, in mentoring programs, um, looking to actually hire uh, 
for example, within the indigenous community um, at Cap College, there's a whole program going on there where they were training indigenous filmmakers. But what I was hearing is that they weren't actually getting work. So they're trained, but then when their, their applications were going to production offices, yeah. they were kind of being overlooked. Oh, wow. And then they were saying, oh, well, there, there isn't anybody, right? Because mm. uh, this industry kind of has very th has thrived on nepotism, frankly. Yeah. For it, so long. So long. Um, they're kind of used to that, yeah. right? You, and and people like to work with people that they know. That's exactly right? it. People they can <laughs> trust. I, I say that in quotations, but. <laughs> and so we have a, a cohort of, of students who are trained within the Indigenous community, but, but weren't actually getting hired. Yeah. Right? That's hopefully changing right now. I think the actual hiring statistics are still uh, low comparatively to the, the BC labor market. Yeah. So we're not quite representative of, 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 you know, the, of the actual population of people getting work, but mm -hmm. we're, we're working towards that. As you've seen, there's like now the Black Academy working out of Toronto and then the Netflix is, has launched certain programs and yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that many of our members have benefited by. Yeah. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. And, that, and now is such a good time for this as well to, to make people realize that these programs exist because um, there's more crew that needs to be hired for these productions these days because we're just getting so busy and people are getting technically hired off the streets. But like there's all these there's all these like, you know, more qualified people than people from the streets, quote unquote, because of all these programs and mm -hmm. the outreach just isn't there yeah, uh, so that sort of continues to be a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. um, often we can be put off in these silos, but we just, uh, you know, need a chance, right? Need a chance. Absolutely. We don't need to, um, you know, there's this fear from some um, areas that, oh, uh, like the common sort of microaggression that an actor would hear is, uh, oh, well, it's all about diversity now, so I might as well retire. You know, I've heard that. Well, it's all about diversity. So, you know, well, I shouldn't even bother auditioning. Right. Right. And that's simply, it, it isn't the case. Yeah. Right. It's just not the case. But that's kind of the microaggression that actors have to put up with all of the time. And they go, just because you think it's all about diversity, somehow you're suddenly not talented and you're being hired just because you're a performer of color. Yeah. Well, who was getting hired before? Is there an assumption that you felt that you had a right to those roles before? 
that you're suddenly not getting now. Yeah. What it is is that the actual there's actual real competition. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. It's just real competition. I mean, um, having uh, better opportunities for racialized performers is about um, raising the bar of excellence within this industry. Yeah. We've always been here, but we've never had the same opportunities. So, you know, um, you can, you know, maybe be not as skilled if you're not, you know, being on a, a, a series, right? right? How do you, how do you raise your presence? How do you raise your, your recognition le- level if you don't get those big roles, if you're not a series regular? Right. Yeah. You may audition for that part. Right. But then necessarily mean you're going to get it. Right. But that's how you raise your name recognition is being able to become a series regular or have num- numerous guest star credits. That's how you raise your recognition level. Yeah. Auditioning for them is not the same thing as being hired for them. Absolutely. Yes, you have an opportunity that doesn't guarantee that you're going to be hired by any means. Right. So you know, it's really about sort of raising the bar of excellence. That's my whole point of, of having sort of racialized uh, performers having, you know, equitable opportunities within this industry. Yeah. And I'm really proud to be uh, part of uh, a union and our incredible executive board who's been incredibly supportive in um, even lobbying for these things with the government. That's a whole other a whole other thing that we're we're working on as well. That sounds really exciting. Are you allowed to talk about the uh, conversations happen happening with the government, uh, or is that kind of under the uh, NDA right now? Well, I, I think all these things are still in development. Of course, I think um, now that there's an election, things kind of change, right? It depends on who's in power. At one point, we were having a conversation about introducing um, tax credits. Um, in hand oh, wow. with uh, equity uh, hiring. Wow. We were having that, that conversation. Um, I don't know what the future it is. Uh, a lot of that is about timing. It also has to do with getting support from the other industries like the DGC, like IFB. Right. Um, uh, tax credits this can be a very sensitive subject within our industry. Um but you know, nationally, um, our industry is like fifty-eight billion dollars. Yeah. Um, nationally, that's what we put into the GDP. Like we put in a lot of money within this industry. I think in my last recollection was about three billion dollars. Um, yeah. Within this in, within this province. In in BC alone, yeah. It's, yes, it's three in to BC four billion alone. dollars now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. so, so yeah, there's a lot of money coming in. So. It's a lot of money coming in. So I think it, it means that, you know, the government needs to pay attention to this segment mm-hmm. of the population, the the artistic population that's saying, no, we're actually bringing in a lot of money. Yeah. Right. Um, and so if your government is saying that you're um, on board with equitable hiring and, you know, rights for everybody, et cetera, this industry is within your purview to be able to enhance um, those things because you can talk about it a lot, right. but hiring one or two people as, as figureheads isn't going to cut it. Right. Yeah, so I, I, I personally would like to see some, something tied into our tax credit system. They have them with in other jurisdiction, like in France and New Jersey, they're looking at them in California. These things have been done in other jurisdictions. Um, but I don't know uh, if that, initiative is going to move forward of course or not that's Uh, still in the talks uh, it's still in the talks you know um it has to do with a lot with political will within our industry as well right how important that is because industry likes to talk a lot about industry or about training right um or mentoring but that isn't hiring that isn't paying somebody you know a, a livable wage yet before you know the pandemic and um i was part of this panel with the Vancouver Asian Film Festival, I remember looking out in the audience and seeing a lot of, um, you know, uh, diverse faces 
those were filmmaking students. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right? Those are filmmaking students. Those are in the audience. That's the future. Yeah. Right? So I know they're there. I know they're studying. I know they're skilled. Right? They just need that opportunity. They just need that opportunity to get in there, to get actual paid, not just mentoring, not just trained. Right. Uh, they just need that opportunity um, in order to, you know, uh, take leadership in their careers, whether they're behind the camera or in front of the camera. Of course. Can you talk about some of the initiatives that are are coming up and that you guys have talked about doing? Well, um, I'll speak about uh, our BIPOC committee, which is fabulous. Um, initially, we're, we were the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. And uh, over the years, it evolved. And um, we went through a lot of growth, a lot of struggle, a lot of change. And with 2020, um, with the murder of George Floyd and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, it, it, it just evolved even more so and be, become more crucial to really um, focus our mandate in a bit more. Our BIPOC committee, that my, our, I'm supported by the most amazing group of uh, people and performers. Um, Broadus Madison, who is now a, a board director, is a co-chair. Um, uh, Leslie Parmar, Tiana Marie Smith, she's been there from, from the beginning. Um, she's amazing. Um, Panthea Vandervost, she's incredible, incredible. And Durendra, Durendra. Uh, this guy has been around like forever uh, and was very active in uh, equity issues in the UK. Uh, and Durendra actually even had his own series here in Vancouver uh, called Jinnah uh, 911. He is incredible too. So I'm supported by these incredible co-chairs, Durendra, Chanamarie, Broadison, Panthea, and Leslie, and they work their butts off. One of the things that we were able to accomplish with that, the support of our board was changes within our collective agreement. Wow. Yeah. Right. Um, which is really revolutionary to talk about um, putting in the language about racial harassment. Right. That's a pretty monumental uh, thing that you did um, through this committee to have Absolutely. something on paper. Yeah. On paper negotiated yeah. uh, with our team. Um, I was part of that negotiating team and we had done a fair bit of research, but this is what our members were, were asking for, uh, for. Actual written interaction about racial harassment that did not exist before. Yeah. Because how, this is what they had been experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. How long ago was this implemented? Uh, it's just uh, recently, just this year. Whoa. April 2021. April 2021. That's yes. When. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that that was in there. That language was in there. Um, and I thought that was really important. We also had language implemented around um, having the rights of women um, to be able to be protected um, if they had to breastfeed. You know. Oh, yeah. um, I know it sounds silly, silly that we had to like kind of spell that out, um, but we did, right? To know that they would be protected because and not seen as sort of a hindrance or a problem that they needed to be accommodated if they needed to um, have time to breastfeed. Of course. They wouldn't be discriminated against, right? We're not, our workers, it's not a traditional workplace, right? We have to audition yeah. and be engaged in order to work. Right. Yeah. And then that employment ends, I don't know, maybe after one day, after a week, after a month, whatever it is. And so and then you have to go through the whole process again, whereas other unions, you may have a job position and it can be protected. Mm -hmm. That isn't the case with the, with a performer. Right. Yeah. All sorts of things can happen and you could be not hired. Yeah. Right. Or or not for all sorts of reasons, which is why we had that language sort of put in there so that our members would know that um, we would have their back, that they had something to go, no, look, it says right here, right? That's that incredibly really important. important, yeah. yeah. Especially for our, for our industry that, you know, works such long hours and, and 
is is uh, uh, the performers are so vulnerable in our industry because they're always needed on set. Yeah, it, it comes to the health and safety of the workplace, right? Yeah. So if you are mentally unsafe, right, because you're being, you know, racially harassed, um, it comes in all sort of forms. It's not, I think, what people think that it is. Uh, it's not like someone's coming by with like a, you know, a, a cross in your a burning cross in your dressing room or something like that, right? It's more about how you're treated, right? Uh, mm -hmm. When you actually come to work, it's about having respect, right? It's not addressing you in a certain way or talking to you in a certain way that they feel that they can because there's nothing you can do about it or having signage or things around that you find offensive, right? Right, and being able to say, no, you know, that's not right, right? That's not right. Um, it having even hair and makeup is another huge issue for performers of color. That is absolutely monumental. That's something that we are having major conversations about right now, and actually had with had them um, when we were talking with the producers. Is that for many years, um, my I'll talk about my own self. Is that I would go to set and I'd bring my own makeup with me. Oh, wow. Now, where is the equity in that? When another yeah. performer, uh, a white performer, can sit and know that she can get her hair and makeup done in a skilled manner, but I can't count on that. Yeah. So I would quietly say, never made a fuss. Oh, look, I have my makeup. And I know that that was, you know, custom blended for me. I knew it would look nice on my skin. And I would provide it because I never knew what type of makeup they would have for me, if they would have any for me at all. Yeah. I was often told, well, okay, uh, how, how do you do your hair? Yeah. Um, well, can you just kind of, you know, they were very unsure and very uh, tentative with me. So I would pay to get my hair done before I went to set each and every time. Wow. So that my hair looked good. I looked good. Um, and they didn't have to do anything with it because I did not know if I would have a skilled stylist for me. Of course, especially back then, like they weren't um, looking to hire a hairstylist that knew how to work with black hair was, is my understanding of the conversation. And now they're starting to make a push for this change to happen. But um, yeah, that's... Wow, thank you for sharing that. Story. Yeah, that, I think that's really, really important. Um, this also affects um, stunt performers as well, yeah. as you can imagine. Um, right. Th that sort of thing. But it, for our performers, it's actually been, there's been many traumatic experiences from members that have shared with me things that have gone on uh, in hair and makeup for them. They've had their makeup done not well, and they've had to go right. back to the trailers and try and fix it. This is just before you actually hit the set. Yeah, yeah. This, you haven't in, right? even been on set yet. Yeah, you haven't even been on set. So having <laughs> having equitable access to the same um, skill, yeah, in hair and makeup, uh, that's still an issue. And I'd have to say that uh, it it was maybe in the last year, I've actually had uh, makeup people email me and say, well you know, um, or they make sure that they have, like, they want to see what I look like. They yeah. have their makeup palette is complete and it's fresh and they're skilled in using it. I've had fantastic makeup done, but I've also had hairstyles go, which products would you like to use? And they've had to go out and maybe purchase them if they didn't have it within their kit. But now I know they're actually asking now. That yeah. means that they're taking me into consideration, right? Um, and they're taking that time, which they did not do before. And I, this is within the last year that this right. is happening. Before this year, like this didn't happen before. It was a crapshoot. Who are you going to get if they knew what they were doing or not? And yeah. You can tell within about a minute. Right. Right. Often, they, especially depending on, you know, where you're playing that day. Like if you're an actor role, principal, guest star, something like that. Right. The bigger the role, they tend to do a little bit more for you. But if you're coming in as something they don't think is not that important and they're like, ah, oh, well, you know, you look fine. And I've had that. Oh, mm -hmm. you're fine. And I'm like, but I don't have any makeup on. Oh, but you're fine. No, what that means is that they're just covering because they don't have my makeup shade or they don't want to mix the shade 
or whatever it is. Right. They're not willing to go that far. So fighting for you know equitable access to hair and makeup is just right. It's 2021 people. And I think that the hair and makeup um, uh, departments in IATSE are really stepping or just beginning to step forward to really realize um, the damage and the harm that has been done previous, previously. Right. And they're now making sure that they acquire the right um, hair and makeup people to do the job that is required of them. Well, that's really exciting. That's now that we're actually seeing this change, though it's a little—it's late for sure. <laughs> but it's late, it's but that's, that's something that UBCP ACTRA is 100% um, behind, and ACTRA National is also behind this initiative to make sure that this um, becomes a standard. This equitable access—that I, I can't believe I have to say that—but yeah. that, that that becomes the actual standard and not the exception. And then also, uh, we also started, which has been recently completed, a membership sense survey. We kind of prompted that and let uh, people know that this is not just about seeking um, information about marginalized um, communities within our, our membership, or equity seeking um, communities within our membership, but everybody. We want to know who our members are so that we can better serve them. This is from everybody from, from age 55 plus, we have an age inclusion committee as well. All of those members um, from um, like, you know, matter what creed, what religion, what, um, uh, you know, ethnic background you have, we wanted to know who are our members, right? This hadn't been done before either, right? Um, so we're like, let's find out who's there. So, um, you know, we, we want to know who our members are so we can better serve them. And then the other really exciting um, thing that uh, the BIPOC uh, committee, um, their initiative was to have a study um, that was uh, being conducted by the Gina Davis Institute in Los Angeles. Now this study is um, uh, just to, uh, I'm just, I just want to make sure that I get this right. It's, it's, really, um, it's really groundbreaking. They have this kind of thing that uh, Google has named the GDIQ. They actually named it after her. They have a software where they can pick out um, people's uh, sex, um, their, their, you know, their, their ethnic background uh, by what's being projected on the screen. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah, we don't have this uh, capability within Canada, right? Yeah, yeah. To do this kind of research. Like I went to a conference, a women's conference, and there was um, Marilyn Denona was talking about it. And I was like going, wow, what is this thing that she's talking about? She was talking about that. Uh, it was about it was a gender, gender studies that we were just, just discussing. And um, so she's saying, well, we need to have statistics to prove that what we're saying is true. And because the uh, Google had come up with this software and they named it the GT because, you know, they initiated it, um, the GDIQ thing, that they could pick out who was speaking on screen with their software. So they could identify um, statistics within a production. And I thought, wouldn't this be marvelous if we could have this here in BC? We have all of these American productions. And at one point, our committee went through IMDB, through all the productions that were going on between 2015 and 16. Um, to, and we just, it was not scientific by any means, but we just wanted to see who was being cast in these movies, right? And so they went through and we kind of gathered our sort of rough statistics and found out that there were very low percentages of casting people of color. Very, very low. Some, in some productions, it was way worse than others. And those, that's something that I thought, well, we can certainly do better than that. And that's why we um, uh, contracted them because they had the capability and the manpower to pull off a study like this. You've heard of the Hollywood Diversity Report, correct? We don't have anything like that in Canada. And so I looked at that and I thought, why can't we find out exactly what the picture is here in BC? The whole uh, aim of this 
is to try to increase the awareness of uh, who is being cast in these projects. What are the, you know, who are they being peopled by? What are the stories being told? And so when you're trying to present an argument to people, what do you need? You need statistics, you need hard facts, you need to see exactly what is going on. And so by using um, the Gina Davis Institute, uh, their software, their capability, they have research teams, they have lots and lots of people, in other words, they go, I think, through a university there in order to get this accomplished. So we can give them, um, these are all the, the productions in this year, and they're going to go through all of them and see male, female, uh, white, black, you know, all these sort of subsection groups to actually see who's getting the work, uh, how much screen time uh, is being divided between speaking and non-speaking roles. These are the things that they use to um, prove their point uh, that the gender statistics were imbalanced. This is a benefit to all of our membership. This gives us an accurate picture of, you know, you know who's being, you know, uh, cast, what stories are being told. Um, and for the first time that we can have this information when we go to the to lobby the government, right? To talk about uh, supporting Canadian filmmaking, right? To get more maybe telefilm dollars um, in within BC, um, or to justify why we need to have players like Netflix um, devote more money into our global media fund, stuff like this, right? You know, it's 2021. It's time that our TV and film industry media have these kind of statistics to be able to be to, to put in the mix, right? To know what's going on within our province. The aim, of course, is to have um, a representation that's equal to the representation of our population and to our labor, you know, to having well-paying jobs. This is what it all means. Yeah, this sounds like an incredible uh, initiative. It's a huge undertaking, and we're very pleased to, to partner with them on this. Um, we will be looking forward to at least part of their results this year. We're really looking forward to um, seeing what their results are. That's awesome. Um, thank you so much, uh, Angela. We're going to close it off with a few yeah. uh, rapid-fire questions that okay. I ask everybody. Um, what's uh, the worst advice you were ever given? Uh, just say yes. Just say yes. Sometimes the answer is, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's that was the worst advice I was ever given. Just say yes, just, you know, take yeah. take take the gig or whatever it is. Yeah. That was probably the worst advice I was ever given. Thank you. Uh, what's the best advice you were ever given? Uh, <laughs> um, choose a more financially secure job. <laughs> <laughs> I obviously didn't take that advice. Uh, <laughs> that was the best advice. Um, uh, but yeah, and, and so the converse of that answer is actually just to say, um, the best advice is to say no. Yeah. What, right? would, you, what would you tell your younger self uh, if you got a chance to about starting in this industry? Pick and choose what you want to do. Pick and choose which roles that you want to do. I have done some roles or auditions that I completely regretted because it went against, you know, I was just so desperate for anything. Oh, I'll, I'll, you know, we'll do it. Um, so I say pick and choose, you know, um, the roles that you want to do. Uh, you can be often very stereotyped, particular actors of color into just actor roles, like one-liners and two-liners, which is basically what I built my career on. Right. And uh, a colleague of mine said to me once I just met her and she goes, oh, my agent said I should have a career like more like yours. And I was like, you really need to shoot higher. <laughs> you need to aim a lot higher. Yeah. Because having a career based on one liners, I, had I known what I know now, I would have I, have, I would have not done them because then it, it tends to just um, stereotype you into just those one or two lines. And they'll happy to cast you like that to the end of your life. Uh, if you just keep saying yes to them. So sometimes you just have to say, no, I'm not doing that. Um, it's hard. It's really hard to do um, when you, you know, need a, you need a check, right? You need to make a, pay your rent. Um, but I would, 
not I would probably go back and I've not done those I would have just find find another job until I find the roles that I really wanted to do right uh in your opinion what does a more diverse film industry look like it looks excellent that's what it looks like it looks like the real world that's what a more diverse um filmmaking landscape would look like it looks like the real world it looks like me and you Andy that's um, awesome man yeah. It looks like the incredible multicultural um, diaspora that we have within Canada, that we, that we have within the, this world, right? That's what it looks like. And that is excellent, by the way. That's so exciting. <laughs> uh, is, does UBCP, um, the, the BIPOC committee, have an Instagram handle, or do you, uh, that we can follow, or... Uh, anywhere where we can follow uh, the progression we of do. this committee. We, we do have uh, the UBCP ACTRA BIPOC Instagram page, which is at UBCP ACTRA BIPOC. That's their Instagram page. And we try and highlight and celebrate the achievements of our members on that page. Um, we also have industry partners that we try and boost as well. So we'd love you to follow the Instagram page. Um, we have a, a very rich presence on our website, UBCP ACTRA. Um, you can go to that website uh, and look under the BIPOC page. We have lots of great resources there. Uh, we really champion the health, uh, the mental health of our members as well. And we also have um, uh, mental health resources for um, people of color as well, which has been um, a real eye opener for me. Uh, so yeah. You can follow us on an Instagram page, and we have the UBCP Actra uh, at you know uh, Instagram page, but the UBCP Actra BIPOC is our handle on Instagram. So we hope awesome. to see you there to follow the wonderful achievements. We had some phenomenal uh, achievements of our members lately, and we just like to highlight that, you know, bring their name recognition to everybody. And it's just going to get better and better. It's more just going to get excellent. better and better, Andy, and I look forward to working with you on set. Well, it's great to hear the industry has definitely changed for the better within the last couple of years. From having to bring her own makeup to set back in the day to now feeling comfortable being in the BIPOC majority crew. It is without a doubt we've come a long way in this industry. What really drew me to bring Angela onto this podcast was her part in creating initiatives within the union to give support to BIPOC performers and really understand where we are now. Sometimes we complain about the state of the industry without really doing our due diligence and searching for initiatives that could help our career. And Angela made a really critical point in saying that these initiatives do exist now more than ever before. It is up to us, however, to seek out these programs. Film festivals, unions, and local organizations have created for us to help our careers excel. So if you're a UBCP performer, I really do encourage you to stay tuned and participate in the upcoming BIPOC committee initiatives. Sounds like those are going to be really good. For all of you listening right now, the BIPOC Credits Instagram and weekly newsletter has a lot of resources um, that are posted on there because my amazing producer Nightingale also puts in a, a lot of work in just finding all of these grants and events and scholarships and everything that's happening around uh, BC that's film related and puts it on to our Instagram and our newsletter so really check it out if you haven't already and sign up for that newsletter if you haven't already. Thank you again for joining us today, and I'll see you on set. Thanks for listening to BIPOC Credits by Andy Wong. This episode was produced by Nightingale. Our editor is Rihanna Toy. Graphics by Joshua Lamb. Theme music by Peter Robinson and Patrick Fiore. Intro and outro voiceover by Mike Lee. Thank you to our community partner, culturebrew.art, for supporting us. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at BIPOC Credits. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, consider supporting us on Patreon and subscribe to our newsletter to get all the juicy information we didn't quite get to in this podcast. Thank you once again for listening to BIPOC Credits.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.